Hello, hello. Welcome back. Today, we are going to be talking about the pelvic floor. I know I've talked about the pelvic floor in a couple of other episodes because, as we know, the pelvic floor is part of the core. If you look at the core like a canister, like, you know, a jug, you have the top part, which is your diaphragm, and then the middle of the jug is all of your ab muscles, and then the bottom of the jug is your pelvic floor. So it's all one unit that affects each other, and it's really, really important to see it that way. Something that I've noticed is there's a lot of confusion about the pelvic floor and the tension in the pelvic floor, if it is weak or it is tight. And I I did a reel this week on my social media handle, Deliciously Fit and Healthy, and I showed some symptoms of a tight pelvic floor, and it just blew up, and people were like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. I thought my pelvic floor was weak because they had leakage, but leakage is a sign of both a tight and a weak pelvic floor, so it can be confusing. So as I realized scanning through those comments and the confusion, I thought, I'm going to address this on my podcast. I'm going to break down a tight pelvic floor. I'm going to break down a weak pelvic floor. I'm going to break down what you do for each, and I'm going to help you get a better idea for what is happening with your body because I realize there is some confusion, which I'm hoping today that I can clear this up in the episodes. And I do feel like it's important for me to note, I am a personal trainer who is crazy passionate about women's health. I see how much it is linked into traditional fitness and how much traditional fitness is not good at linking in real women's health. I've taken educational courses on the pelvic floor, on diastasis recti, and I'm even in another course right now because I'm always down to learn, and it is a pre- and postnatal certification course. I love women's health, but I am a personal trainer, and I am not a pelvic floor therapist. I do highly suggest seeing one. If you have the option to see one near you in your town, take it. Take it, take it, take it. It is so nice to have a hands-on assessment. And I will add in the show notes a link where you can put in your zip code and then you can find a PT near you because we can learn a ton online and we can get some really good info, but sometimes that hands-on assessment is needed. So If you have that option, it's worth saving for even to just go once or twice. It can make a massive difference. And I will continue to share as much as I can through my training, but never be scared to see someone in person as well. And it's always great to follow someone online too. If you find this episode helpful, as always, don't forget to write a review. Let me know that you enjoyed it. I read all those reviews. They mean so much to me. And don't forget to share it with your friends and family. Let's be honest. If you're a mom or you're a female in general, chances are you have leakage or you might know someone who does. Or even if you don't know someone who does, I guarantee that you have friends with leakage. So send them this episode. Help them realize that they don't need to wear a pad the rest of their life. They don't need to be in diapers when we're like in our 70s and 80s, 90s. Like, I do not want to be in a diaper. I want to have control of my pelvic floor. And that's what we're going to talk about today. I'm also going to link in the show notes some other older episodes that I've done with pelvic floor PTs, with the vagina rehab doctor and the vagina whisperer, where we touch on some of these topics as well. So if you find today's episode interesting, you can go to the show notes and click on those two episodes and even learn some more interesting stuff. Lastly, I do have some exciting news for you. I've had a lot of people reach out, and we've even talked about it in the podcast, about a community and wanting to talk about the episodes. And I finally made an Instagram account for just the podcast so we can talk all things podcast. It is titled Make 
dot it dot simple dot podcast. I will also add that Instagram handle link in the show notes. That is where you can come and tell me your thoughts on the episode. Tell me what you like. Tell me what you didn't like. Tell me what guests you want to have on. Tell me what topics you want covered. We can really make that a community if everyone following that account is listening to the podcast where we can chat back and forth about the episodes each week. And it makes it really easy because it's already in a social media handle we all use. So Don't forget to follow along where we are going to talk all things podcast on that Instagram handle, make.it.simple.podcast, and we are just going to chat it up on there. I will warn you, I did just start it, so there isn't a ton there yet, but don't worry, there will be as time goes on. All right, let's get into today's episode and break down the pelvic floor and what we are going to do about it. My name's Andrea Allen, and I am a mother of four girls under seven, a wifey to a mountain man, a personal trainer, and a nutrition coach. I love all things women's health and fitness, but let's face it, the fitness industry is complicated and it's not built for the everyday mom. There's so much conflicting information, and you're busy and you don't have time to figure it out. I hate feeling confused and overwhelmed, so I have made it my mission to simplify health and fitness while creating a welcoming, realistic, and empowering home for like-minded women. I'm happy you're here, and I hope you stay a while. Okay, now for today's episode, I am going to try to keep it semi-basic. Basically, I'm saying I'm not going to drown you in the anatomy (laughs) and words that I can barely spell either and, you know, have to Google even as I was taking my courses that I've taken for continuing education on the pelvic floor. But we are going to just quickly go over the pelvic floor and then go over the issues of tension because that's what's going to be relating a lot to you and to keep it a little bit basic. So first of all, there are three muscular slings in the pelvic floor. There's the anterior sling, the middle sling, and the posterior sling. So this is a good thing to think about as we talk about a weak pelvic floor or a tight pelvic floor because sometimes you can only be contracting one of them. So we're going to talk about a squeeze and then a lift and then a relax. And for example, if you are only able to squeeze but not lift, you're not working some of those deeper slings of the pelvic floor. So it's important to realize that Weakness and tightness can happen in different parts of the pelvic floor. So let's get into that pelvic floor tension. Now, one of the number one confusing things I'm realizing and that people think is they have a baby and they hear weak or loose and tight and they're like, hello, I just had a baby. Clearly, I'm weak and loose. I am not talking about the actual vagina hole. I am talking about the tension of the muscles on the inside. So you have to imagine this like a hamstring and or a back muscle. Let's say a back muscle or neck. And sometimes muscles can be weak and sometimes muscles can be super tight and tense. That is what's happening in the pelvic floor. So just because you had three babies and it was recently and you're like, oh, I have leakage, I have back pain, I have uncontrolled gas, that doesn't necessarily always mean your pelvic floor is weak. It could be that it is tight, that there is tension there. So that is a big first thing that I want to clear up is we are literally talking about the tension of the pelvic floor, not the actual hole. That is a huge miscommunication. Okay, the other thing about the pelvic floor is 
it's confusing because there are multiple signs and symptoms that overlap into both areas, a weak pelvic floor and a tight pelvic floor. And that is why people often assume, oh, I had kids, I have leakage, I must have, insert, you know, a weak pelvic floor. That's not correct. Again, so as I list these symptoms and I explain it, I want you to really think about you. And I'm also going to link some reels that I have done on this subject. And I am going to link another reel I'm going to do this week. And hopefully I have that loaded by the time this episode airs. So first, let's talk about a weak pelvic floor. So a weak pelvic floor is also known as a hypotonic pelvic floor. It is weak. It's not contracting. And the best way to think about it is you don't have control of the muscle where you can't even feel it or make it work. It would be like if you were doing a bicep curl and you were like, Like, I don't know what this is working because you couldn't feel the bicep and you were actually doing something incorrect. So it's an issue of the tension in the muscle being weak and loose and not firing correctly. The signs for a hypotonic pelvic floor are, one, you have decreased sexual satisfaction. That means that you actually have less enjoyable or less often orgasms because part of intimacy and an orgasm is the way that the muscle tenses and then relaxes. And so that muscle is weak and it's not doing its job as much. So your orgasms become weaker. It also can cause tampons to fall out or feel loose. Now, that doesn't mean for the signs I'm listing, it doesn't mean you have to have all of them because a lot of times people say, well, I've never had tampon fall out. That's okay, but do you have any of the other signs? So that's what I want you to think about as well. It also can make you feel like you have pressure down there, like just some heaviness and pressure at the bottom, almost like something is gonna fall out. Now, this can be confused with prolapse, which I will get into on another day, but just being aware that a weak pelvic floor often can be linked to prolapse, but it's not necessarily that falling out, but more of just pressure and heaviness down there. It also is going to cause you, when you are trying to contract your pelvic floor, oftentimes you are overcompensating with other muscles. So I can tell you, and the Probably the best thing about this podcast today is I've actually had both. I've had a weak pelvic floor and a tight pelvic floor. So I'm going to tell you my personal experience and why I got certifications in this and deal with this and talk about it so much because I learned from it and what you learn, you want to share. So after I had my twins, I had a very weak pelvic floor and I did not know what was going on. And I went to a PT and she told me, okay, I need you to do a Kegel. And that is basically where you squeeze the pelvic floor. So you squeeze it together and then you lift and then you lower. So she's telling me to squeeze and I'm like, oh yeah, I am. And she's like, no, you're actually squeezing your butt. Literally my, my glute muscles were firing because I couldn't even fire the right muscles. So when you have a weak pelvic floor, it's really common to overcompensate with your glutes and even with your abs. You'll try to make the pelvic floor contract and all of a sudden your abs alone will tighten. Now, obviously, when you get into a deep contraction of the pelvic floor, your abs are involved. But when your abs are chiming in before you feel anything in the pelvic floor, it's a pretty good sign that you have a weak pelvic floor. 
So those are the clear-cut signs that only fall in a weak hypotonic pelvic floor. There's a couple more signs, but I'm going to put them after the hypertonic or the tight pelvic floor because those are signs that fall into both categories. And I know because I'm making lists and then some of them overlap, that might feel confusing. So I'm actually also going to add a diagram in the show notes so that you can see the overlapping circles of how a weak pelvic floor, this main symptoms, a tight pelvic floor, the main symptoms, and then how the circles overlap in the middle and what things go in the middle. Because sometimes I know people are visual over audio. So as I list them, you can look at that and that will be linked in the show notes. So a tight pelvic floor is when the actual muscle tension in your pelvic floor is tight. It's tense. It's overactive. It's also known as hypertonic. So the weak is hypo, kind of like a thyroid hypo, and then hypertonic. And that is that tight pelvic floor. And yes, you can even have some tightness or some weakness in one side of the pelvic floor and not the other and vice versa. Some signs of a tight pelvic floor are pain during penetration. So people will often say after they have kids or even, again, you don't also have to have children to have a tight or weak pelvic floor. I also want to say that as well. It's common after them, but it's not a necessity. So oftentimes people say, well, in certain positions, it's painful. Typically, that's because, I hope this isn't too aggressive, but something is being poked that is super tight. Imagine a tight muscle in your neck. If someone's constantly poking at it, you're like, that hurts. Stop it. That's what's happening. It's a tension in the pelvic floor, and then something is irritating it by literally hitting it is what's happening. So it can create some pain during penetration. A really common sign is also clenching your jaw. So the jaw is really linked to the diaphragm, which is linked to the pelvic floor. It's really true about the kinetic chain. So when you clench your jaw, it kind of turns off your breathing, which also messes up the pelvic floor and creates some tension there. Clenching your butt cheeks is another one. Traditionally, when people are clenchers, they're clenching everything. They're so balled up and tight. I find that when I'm stressed, my jaw will be really tight. And then I'll think, oh my gosh, what are my glutes doing? And before I know it, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm squeezing my glutes too. And everything is tight. So another sign is actually stress and anxiety. If you have a very stressful or a lot of anxiety in your life, you can easily be a clencher and you can feel overly tense because you're so wound up in your mind. But the mind-body connection is very real. So when we get wound up in our mind, it tends to make our whole body tense, which then affects our pelvic floor. So our pelvic floor becomes tight and tense. A couple of other signs are common constipation because it's really hard for you to relax to go to bathroom. Also pushing or straining to pee or a sense of urgency. Urine is a really interesting one because there's a couple of things that show signs of the pelvic floor issue. One of them is when you are urinating, you may pause and then you pee again. So it's like a second pee stream because there's a pause and then you release or void out the rest. That's another sign. Or when you are done voiding, there's like a dribble, like it doesn't totally stop because your pelvic floor again is so tense 
that it's why it's stopping it so you're getting a second pee stream or it's kind of dribbling out when you're done or you're pushing to pee. They call it a power pee and that is not good either because the pelvic floor is not relaxing properly and that is why often we can look at the way that we go to bathroom and how our pelvic floor is affected in both areas, in urine and in going number two. A couple other signs are sitting for long periods of time. Typically, when we are sitting for a long period of time, it's kind of turning off that pelvic floor or it's just making it tense and inflammatory pain disorders. That's another really common one. So example, endometriosis or cystinocytis. I'm probably saying that a little bit incorrectly, so forgive me if I am. But those are common ones because there's so much inflammatory issues that that is creating tension in the surrounding muscles, which creates that tight pelvic floor. People with a tight pelvic floor also typically have increased UTI. So if you get a UTI on a regular basis, that goes back with the urine issues where that's a really good sign. Also, people are tend to be shallow breathers when they have a tight pelvic floor because remember, we've talked about diaphragm breathing and with a diaphragm breath, the pelvic floor moves fluidly with the diaphragm. When the diaphragm expands and you fill the ribs with air, the pelvic floor moves up with it. And when we exhale, the pelvic floor moves down. It's a very fluid motion of that canister. Remember we talked about the core like a canister of the top moving with the bottom. So if you're a shallow breather, you're turning off the pelvic floor and then it becomes kind of tight and tense and just not doing its job fluidly. Along with being a shallow breather, sometimes you have the inability to get a good inhale. Like when you inhale, you'll notice just your chest is massively rising and that can be a sign as well along with the inability to have a good contraction of the pelvic floor, which we're going to talk about pelvic floor contraction next. But if you can't even feel the pelvic floor lift or you can feel it lift, but you can't feel it lower at all, that is also could be a really good indicator of a tight pelvic floor. So those are all just the tight hypertonic options that just fall under hypertonic. So you have the list in the beginning of the week. You have the list of the tight. Now let's talk about the ones that are overlapping, that are doing both. And that's where there is confusion because people hear this and then they assume. So it's really important for you to look at the category separate of what falls under them and then look at the combined. Because if you do it and just focus on the combined, it's going to feel confusing. And again, I will have that diagram linked in the show notes to show you how they overlap. With both a weak and a tight pelvic floor, you can experience leakage when running, coughing, sneezing, jumping in weird motions and any of that. And the reason why is because with a weak pelvic floor, it's so weak that it's not doing its job. So then it kind of leaks urine. And this is a very basic version of it, not as much of the details. But with a tight pelvic floor, imagine it's so, so tense, so, so tense that it's almost like if you're trying to hold your breath while you're coughing, like it's so tense and you're like, pah, pah, like, and you hurry and like trying to cough if you're trying to hold your breath. That's kind of a weird example, but I'm sure you've been in public somewhere where you're like, oh my gosh, I can't cough so loud right now. So you like try to hold it in and then you're like making weird noises all over the place. <laughs> Maybe that's just me. I'm trying not to cough when I'm sitting in a silent room or at church or whatever. But 
that is kind of what the pelvic floor is doing. It's so, so tense that all of a sudden it's like, and it's leaking. It's causing leakage because it's not doing its job properly and it's not fluidly moving. So leakage is a major sign of both. Uncontrolled gas is also a sign of both, as is SI joint pain, back pain, and hip pain. All of them are connected because as we talked about, that kinetic chain is real. So oftentimes with hip pain, people will develop a tight or a weak pelvic floor. And this is where I'm going to come in and say, I've been very open about the fact that I have a hip diagnosis of AVN. I have a couple things going on in my hip. And as I've worked to fix that, I developed a tight pelvic floor on one side, on the side where my hip was injured. Crazy, right? Because what was happening was I'm having all this internal hip issues and then everything on that side is feeling tense and trying to brace the area and like try to fix the problem. So it became tight on one side of my pelvic floor. And I went to a PT and she assessed me and she's like, oh yeah, your your side on the left where you don't have a hip injury, normal, your middle's okay, but this other kind of like to the right where your hip is, it's the contraction was a little bit weaker there and I wasn't able to release as well. So if you're like, oh no, am I one of those people who have a tight and weak? Go to a PT. And the last one that overlaps is feeling kind of heavy down there. We talked about pressure, but kind of that heavy feeling as well can be an issue of both a tight and weak pelvic floor. So how are we going to address these based on what you think you have now? Because the process for trying to improve a weak pelvic floor is very, very different than a tight pelvic floor. And that's what we're going to talk about now. Because oftentimes people will say, oh, I have leakage, I have this. And then they'll read how to improve the pelvic floor, but they're actually reading on how to improve a weak pelvic floor. And it's actually the opposite. What you want to do is the opposite. With a weak pelvic floor, you're trying to learn to activate and contract that pelvic floor. So imagine a weak muscle. You are learning to strengthen the muscle. So you're doing a bicep curl and you are curling up and you are curling down to get that bicep strong. With the pelvic floor, it's the same thing. You want to learn to squeeze the pelvic floor, lift it, and then lower it. So just like that bicep curl, when we bring the weight up, it is a concentric movement. We are shortening that bicep curl. With the pelvic floor, we are lifting, we are contracting, we're doing the same thing. the bicep curl, as we start to go down, we are lengthening the bicep. That is the eccentric movement. And for the pelvic floor, we are relaxing and releasing the pelvic floor. It is truly like a weak muscle. You have to learn to train it correctly. So imagine the pelvic floor like a diamond because I'm going to give you some tips on learning to contract this properly. You got to see the pelvic floor as a diamond. So you have the front the back and the sides. The front is the perium, the back is the coccyx, and then the two sides are the sit bones. So as you lift that diamond, you're recruiting the front, the back, and both sides, and you're imagining it drawing up. Another way to think of this is, I'm sure you've seen those big construction, I want to call them cranes. They're probably called something else, but they have a crane on the end. It's like the claw. Let's call it the claw. (laughs) And I'm sure someone in construction is like, oh dear. So they're picking up dirt. They come down, they expand, they pick up the dirt, and it comes together and it moves the dirt. The pelvic floor is the same. So imagine at the bottom, it's expanded. The claw is going to pick up, drawing in four points of the diamond up, and then to relax it and lengthen it, we're going to put it back down and it's going to spread back out. 
That is how you squeeze and lift and contract the pelvic floor and then you fully relax the pelvic floor after. If that feels confusing, don't worry. I have a free breathing series which explains this in more detail and gives you tips about sitting on a yoga block and how to feel it and all the things. And I will link that in the show notes as well. It's a three video series which it tells you exactly how to connect to the pelvic floor to lift it and to relax it and the difference between all those motions. But I wanted to give you that visual of the crane now or that diamond lifting up and then relaxing. So that's the first piece to the pelvic floor being weak that you can work on. Now with this, you can do different things. You can practice quick contractions where you are quickly lifting that pelvic floor quicker. So it's like a flick and you can do a set of 10 of those. And then you also want to practice the holds, the contracting of the holds, because we're trying to train the muscle in different ways. So again, let's go back to that bicep curl. You can do tempo with the bicep curl. If you're always just flying that weight up, up and up and up, you're going to get some work there. But if you add some variation where you go up slower and then down, it's going to create more strength in the muscle and you're going to work the muscle fibers different. Imagine the pelvic floor that way. So as you work on that squeezing, lifting, and relaxing of that pelvic floor to contract it fully, I want you to practice it quickly, doing like quick lifts and quickly lowering it and making sure it is fully lengthening. Remember, if you just did a bicep curl, the top part, and kept lifting just the top part, it would not work the muscle properly. The lifting of the curl and the lowering is just as important. So with the pelvic floor, as you practice these quick flicks, make sure it's coming up and make sure it's fully coming down. Then you want to practice it slowly. So you're going to lift it. You're going to hold it at the top for 10 seconds where we're doing holds, and then you're going to relax it. Again, make sure you're feeling that pelvic floor come down. A way to be able to feel that is to sit on a yoga block, straddle a Yoda block, a Yoda block. I wish I had a Yoda block. (laughs) A yoga, not a Yoda, (laughs) a yoga block. That's going to help. If you don't have a yoga block, I highly suggest getting one, but a really tightly wound towel can kind of help, but it just is felt better on that yoga block. And I honestly think you can get it on Amazon for like under $10. So it's worth getting. And I actually use my yoga block all the time. So it's worth getting to sit on to see if you can feel that. And I'm going to talk about that in that free breathing series, which I'm going to link in the bio for you to be able to watch and see what I'm talking about as well. So that's where you're going to start with a weak pelvic floor. You're going to learn to find it. You're going to learn to activate it. You're going to learn to lift it, which is deepening the contraction and really gathering the entire pelvic floor up. And then you're going to learn to fully relax it and bring it back down to baseline. And that is really going to help you strengthen the pelvic floor. Now, with that, you eventually will weave that into inner core exercises. So That's the base layer. If you have diastasis recti, that is one of the base layers of being able to heal that because with diastasis recti, there's uncontrolled intra-abdominal pressure. And when you have that weak pelvic floor and you're not inviting the pelvic floor to the party, that pressure is pushing down and it's going to create leakage and it makes the core worse. So that's also the first step in healing your diastasis recti, which I also talk about in my diastasis recti guide. And it's that base layer and then connecting that to the core and then the inner core exercises. So if you have a weak core or just diastasis in general where you have the separation of the core, the right ab and the left ab, there's space between it where the linea alba is. It's stretched out and weakened. That guide is going to be very, very helpful. And learning to use your pelvic floor is going to be 
crucial for that because that is a key piece to being able to heal that and making sure your pelvic floor is invited to the party and it's working properly. Now, here's the tricky part for the hypertonic, the tight pelvic floor. It's the opposite. The problem is people hear, oh, okay, so I got to track the pelvic floor. I got to contract it. So then they're trying to contract it and they have a tight pelvic floor and it's actually making it worse. You actually need to do the opposite. You need to learn to relax and lengthen it. When you already have that tight pelvic floor, remember, we're going back to that bicep curl. You're starting at about a 90 degree and you're just pumping that top over and over and over and over again. And eventually you're not getting a good muscle contraction and that bicep's going to hurt. And then you're not able to fully relax it because the muscle tension is so off. So doing a Kegel when you have a tight pelvic floor is actually making it worse because you're not able to fully relax it. So your focus is to release the pelvic floor and to relax it and to lengthen it, to really get it to just calm down. The first step to be able to do this is breathing. Breathing is really important in general, being able to breathe with your diaphragm. It's also known as 360 breathing, where it's important for a weak and a tight pelvic floor because as I mentioned, when we breathe with our diaphragm, it fluidly invites the pelvic floor to the party and moves fluidly. So it is important for both, but I put it in the tight pelvic floor because it's really, really important because that base of that canister is not turned on and it's tight and tense. And so it's hindering your ability to get that good inhale. It's hindering the core's ability to relax and it's going to hinder your ability to contract that pelvic floor, which is needed to brace the core during strength movements, during inner core movements, during all kinds of things. So it's really important that we focus on the breathing. And I use the breathing for the tight pelvic floor in almost a way of meditation because again, we're relaxing and lengthening and releasing. And as for the breathing, I do want to say if you are multitasking, if you are working out or doing the dishes or doing anything where your mind is busy while you listen to the podcast, I do highly suggest that you stop for the next couple minutes and just really listen to my verbal cues for the breathing. I think it's going to make it a little bit easier to follow along, especially even if you stop and actually do what I'm saying as I'm saying it. It's going to help you connect a little bit better because it is all audio on here. And obviously for my visual learners, no problem. I will add some links in the show notes to help you understand as well. So you can do the breathing by literally putting your feet up on a chair and laying on your back. That's one way, which can kind of just help everything relax. Nothing's tense. You're not sitting up. You're not trying to brace any muscles. You're totally calm. Another way is to kind of prop your back up because when you sit straight up, you're sitting directly on the pelvic floor. So if you lean directly back, so if you're like kind of like reclined, if you had a big exercise ball or if you had a bench and you could like prop a pillow against it or even one of those elevated beds, maybe you're amazing and you have an elevated bed. If you could lean back a little bit and kind of open your legs a little bit and relax, that's another really great way to work on the breathing. So with the breathing, you really want to focus on making sure you're not shallowly breathing, only using your chest. So your chest is rising and falling. You want to make sure that you're breathing into your ribs, into your belly, and into your back. A lot of times when people think they're diaphragm breathing, their belly just pops out and in, out and in. And I suggest putting your hands on your ribs. Make sure your ribs are expanding. If you can't feel that, put your hands on your back. Make sure your back is expanding. Try this in different positions. You can lay on your side and put your hand so your fingers are on the front. Your front two fingers are on the front. 
and your your thumb is on your back to make sure that you're getting a nice deep inhale. You can do it seated and just put your hands on your ribs or you can do it in this laid back position. So you really want to clear your mind and think about inhaling. Imagine your ribs expanding, your back even expanding and your belly and then exhale fully and just do it slow and controlled and really think about the breathing and make it deep. You can even make it bigger so you're not just breathing through your nose, but you're actually audibly inhaling and exhaling. This is going to help to naturally connect that pelvic floor and just to help it relax a little bit. As I mentioned, it's sometimes tricky to get a good inhale in when you have a tense pelvic floor. So practicing that is really important and also making sure that those ribs alone aren't flaring as you're breathing. You don't want them flaring to the front. You can feel a little expanding from the side and you can feel it into your back, but that's going to help make a difference. For people who are worried if they have tightness on one side, you can even sit and put your hand kind of like on your hips. So your fingers are in front and your thumb is in the back, or you can put one hand, I would suggest doing it this way. For example, we're testing our right side and we really want to make sure we're getting a nice deep inhale. So you're going to put your left hand on your right hip and then your right hand on your lower back on that same side. So you have a hand in the front and the hand in the back. And as you inhale, imagine inhaling into those hands. So you should feel both the hand in the front and the hand in the back expand because that's going to help make sure, okay, this air is coming in and down and filling my diaphragm and going down towards my pelvic floor and everything is expanding and it's not just making your chest rise up and down. I would suggest doing this as often as possible. Honestly, as often as possible. Sometimes when I'm sitting at stoplights, I'll be like, okay, I just want to make sure like I'm using my diaphragm to breathe. And I'll just think about it for a little bit when you're watching a show, a couple sets in the morning and night. And eventually the goal is that you start breathing traditionally every day, day in, day out, where you're just using your whole diaphragm and it's natural, where you're not thinking about it. The goal isn't to think about breathing because we have enough to think about. We don't need to think about breathing. So you will get there, but we do need to remind if you are a shallow breather for your diaphragm to come to the party, which is going to turn on your pelvic floor. The next thing you can do for that tight pelvic floor is, remember I said, imagine that muscle is tight. And when a muscle is tight, what do we do? We stretch it out. It's really important. When it's so tight, it's like an elastic band where it's just tense. And that's what's happening in the pelvic floor. So we really need those pelvic floor muscles to relax. There are a couple of poses I'm going to suggest. I will link some amazing PTs that I love, and they talk about this all the time. I'm going to link Caroline Packard, DPT from Instagram. I'm going to link Doc Lizzie, DPT and a few others that I adore. And they are constantly showing ways to stretch and lengthen the pelvic floor because I'm going to list a couple that you're going to be able to Google. But I don't know if you're like me. I love a resource. I love someone to tell me, no, go here and you'll find a lot because that works for me. I don't have time to look around Google. And Google sometimes makes things up. Let's be honest. So I'm going to link some really good pelvic floor doctors in the show notes as well. But some of the stretches that you can work on are happy baby, You can work on happy baby. This is where you lay on your back and your feet come up. You can work on it with your feet against the wall if you don't have the mobility. You can work on it where you connect your feet at the bottom and you put your hands on your feet. I don't have the mobility because of my hip right now to do a traditional happy baby. So I grab my feet and in the Instagram video, 
I shared today on social media, I'm grabbing my feet because I can't get my feet all the way up, but that's okay because it's still opening up that pelvic floor and helping it to relax. So I'm going to put my hands on my feet. I'm going to bring my knees towards my chest and I'm going to lay back and my knees are going to come up and then the feet are in front of me. It can also be known as diamond pose, I believe. You're going to practice a deep squat. If you have the mobility, you can do this by yourself, like like seated where you're all the way down, your feet are down, and you're pushing out on your knees and your hands are together in that deep, deep, deep squat pose. Or, and the key to this one also is to keep that back flat. You don't want it curved forward. Or if you don't have that mobility, you can again sit on the yoga block. You can turn the yoga block depending on your flexibility, or you can do this against a wall. So your back is staying flat, but it's not having to work if you don't have great mobility. Child's pose is another really great one. A belly drop or a good cow pose is really good or a puppy pose. Those are all motions where if you look them up and as you look at the accounts I suggest and some of the links to their pages, you'll see it's really kind of stretching the glutes and the pelvic floor. And during these stretches, you really want to think about inhaling and exhaling with your diaphragm. So you want to think about that 360 breathing with the stretches because it's really opening up and stretching out that pelvic floor. And that is the key to healing that pelvic floor if it is tight. It is really important that you are able to release it. Just like going to a massage therapist where they work on a knot in your back, that's what's going on in your pelvic floor. And on top of that, you can go to a pelvic floor doctor and they can do internal releases. When I realized that part of my pelvic floor was tight, I knew the signs because I'd gone to school for this. And I was like, okay, I have part of a tight pelvic floor. I went into a PT and she did release it. It's not super comfortable because it literally is like working out a knot in the pelvic floor. But I'll tell you what, it makes a huge difference. And if you go in, they can teach you how to use a pelvic wand, which helps you learn how to do internal releases yourself. That might be overwhelming for some people, and you can keep that between you and your doctor. But to me, if I can learn how to do something myself, if they can teach you that, then you don't have to keep going back over and over again. So that's not a bad option either. And I know a lot of pelvic floor therapists do teach people how to use the pelvic wand to be able to release those knots, just like a massage therapist would. There's all kinds of tools. If you think about it, have you seen like the, you know, the... um there's like a bar where you can like put on your back to release knots and there's like the Theragun and all kinds of things. That's all it is. It's a tool to release tight muscles. So you got to look at it that way. I know people get like weirded out by, you know, muscles inside the vagina and whatever else, but like it's a muscle. It needs released. It's not a big deal. So it's another great option if that's what you need. And that releasing of the pelvic floor is going to be so huge for improving those symptoms. And then it's going to give you the ability to learn how to contract that pelvic floor correctly and focus on that squeeze and lift and then fully lowering, which is going to help you in your daily activities and being able to lift weights and being able to improve your diastasis recti and being able to use your core. And so many different things, it helps reduce back pain. When we have a weak core, we have back pain. We have all kinds of things. So it's going to improve so many symptoms. I truly hope this episode was helpful. I hope that you got an idea of the difference between a weak pelvic floor and a tight pelvic floor. I hope you got ideas on how to improve a weak pelvic floor and a tight pelvic floor. And I hope that all the show notes with the videos and the links and everything else is helpful for you because that is my number one jam. That is my favorite thing 
in meeting people who listen or talking to people online and be like, oh my gosh, I learned so much. It changed. It, I, I figured it out. That's what I want for you. So be aware your pelvic floor matters. It matters so much and you aren't stuck with leaking forever and knowing which type of pelvic floor you have and fixing it is a game changer. I've dealt with both. Both of them are uncomfortable and it is a game changer when you are able to improve them. That is it for today. I love you. I hope this was helpful. And as always, you are doing better than you think you are. All right. We'll chat next week. Thank you.